You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. I don't want to go to the beach. Beach is too sandy. I want to play video games. The water's too cold. I want to stay home. It's too crowded. It's too hot outside. There's stingrays and loud seagulls and jellyfish and sand crabs and sharks. Do you want me to get eaten by a shark? I don't like sunscreen. I don't like the sun. I don't like swimming. I don't like the sand. I don't like the icky bathrooms. I just want to stay home. What if I get a sunburn? What if I get stung by a jellyfish? What if I get seasick? What if I get sand in my mouth? What if I get the disoriented? What if I drop my hot dog in the sand? What if I get lost? I hope you people know what you're doing. It's too hot. There's sand in my toes. that you would agree with me that this young kid has a problem. You think? Um, so how would you diagnose this problem? What was going on with this little boy? Negative. How, what? Negative. Negative. Would you think? Yeah, this little boy, my diagnosis is this little boy was suffering from negativism. In other words, he had a, um, a, a chronic negative attitude. Now, let me ask you this. You can raise your hands on this. Um, Do you know anybody like this? Do you know anybody that suffers from a chronic negative attitude? Raise your hand if you do. Keep them up. Keep them up. Okay. Keep them up. Look around the room. Most of you are are willing to admit. Okay. You put them down. Um, Okay. So let me go ahead and say, don't raise your hand on the next question. Because you know where I'm going with this. Um, uh, Is there anybody here? And uh, maybe... This is your description. Um, you, um, you, you, you may be uh, suffering from a negative spirit, a negativism, or, or, or you know you are. Just think about it. Don't raise your hand. And wives or husbands, don't raise your hands for the other partner or anything. Okay. okay. Uh, negativism. What, what is it? Well, let me give you some definitions. Um, negativism is the practice or habit of being skeptical, critical, <clears throat> or pessimistic. Negativism is an attitude of mind marked by skepticism, especially about nearly everything that is affirmed by others. Uh, Negativism, it's the feeling of not expecting good things or considering only the bad side of a situation. Some of you guys are just smiling, and I don't know if you're smiling about yourself or who you might be smiling about. Maybe it's a person sitting beside you. Um, If you're not quite sure, if you're suffering from negativism, if you're not quite sure you're a negative person, then um, let me help you. I'm going to give you 10 signs that you might be a negative person. You ready? 
Number one, you have a fatalistic view of the world. When something good happens, your common response is, that's too good to be true. Number two, you dwell on past failures, broken promises, and disappointment, and you feel most certain that history will only repeat itself. Number three, you're hypercritical of other people and make um, critical, judgmental comments about people and their thoughts and their ideas. Number four, uh, your default thinking is negative. You think negatively about yourself and other people and fail to see positive possibilities. Number five, you have trouble maintaining relationships. Um, you can't figure out why people avoid you. You haven't yet figured out that people really don't want to spend a lot of time with negative people. Number six, you focus on the problem, not the solution. Negative people often fail to bring solutions to the table. Number seven, you're not excited about the future. In fact, you have a dim view of the future and you don't explore new skills, opportunities, or challenges because you've already decided that you will not be successful. Number eight, never and always are your favorite words. Negative people can view the world in all or nothing terms. Number nine, you can put a negative spin on good news. Number 10, negative people rarely show gratitude. They take things like job, home, and health for granted. Self-assessment here. Um, if you're still unsure, uh, if you're trying to figure out, am I a negative person? Let me give you uh, the names of some famous people who are known as negative people. You ready? You can compare yourself. Uh, number one, Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Charlie Brown from Peanuts and the Gang. Um, Sesame Street's Oscar the Grouch, of course. Um, Grumpy from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Of course, Garfield the Cat. Um, Dr. Seuss's The Grinch. And uh, Saturday Night Live's Debbie Downer. So, are you a negative person? If you believe you may be, or if you have... Con uh, concluded that you are a negative person, then this message is for you. Listen, tune in. This message is for you because now is the time to confront a negative spirit. Remember the series is called Now is the Time. Now is the time to confront a negative spirit. A negative spirit will affect your personal life, your marriage, your home and family life, your work life, uh, and your friendships. Um, but more importantly, a negative spirit will affect your spiritual life. It will affect your view of God. It will affect how you walk out your spiritual life. And with the challenges that life has the uh, ability to present us with, there's always the possibility of becoming so paralyzed and negative that we can be focused on what's not happening we, and, and we fail to focus on the positive. And more importantly, we fail to focus on the positive work that God is doing in and around us and through us. We can become so focused on the negative that we miss all the positive. And today, as we continue on in our study of Haggai, this is exactly what we find happening in the remnant of the Jewish people who had come back from Babylon and had started the rebuilding, the reconstruction of the temple. So I'd like for you to take out your Bibles, and today I'm going to ask you to turn to two different passages. Uh, first, because we're in a study in Haggai, I want you to turn to Haggai chapter 2. 
Haggai chapter 2. You might go there on your phones. You might go there uh, flipping the pages. But if you can find Haggai chapter 2. And then once you're there, just hold that place. And you're going to flip back in the Old Testament, several books. And you're going to go to Ezra. Ezra chapter 3. Now, while these aren't necessarily parallel passages, they do work together to give us a a complete story for the message today. So we're going to go back and forth a little bit. You got it? Are you there? You everybody with me? Okay, so last week we saw that Zerubbabel, uh, the governor, and Joshua, the priest, along with the people, uh, were stirred by God's uh, corrective word that came through Haggai. And they obeyed. That was the big thing. They actually listened and they obeyed. After about a month of gathering their plans together for the reconstruction of the temple. And after, during that same month as they were gathering the resources uh, together uh, and having God's assurance. Remember uh, last week we, we saw that they recognized, the Jewish people recognized that all of the stuff, all of the misery that was happening to them was a result of their disobedience and their misalignment priorities. And so God said, all of this stuff is happening to you. You know why? I brought it on. I brought the drought, the little bit of crop you had. I blew it all away. You were putting your money in the bank. It was like uh, putting it in a purse with holes in it. That's because of me. And, and, And it says that they obeyed because they feared the Lord. They, they, they understood that if they did not make a change, that the, the possibility was very likely that these things would continue to happen uh, and, and may even be worse. And so uh, they, they, they took action. They had God's assurance. God says, I am with you. I, I'm, I'm with you uh, in, in repentance. I'm with you in forgiveness. I'm, I'm with you to equip you. I'm with you to protect you. I am with you. You can be assured of that. And so they, they moved on and they began to uh, rebuild the temple. Now, it's important that we remember this isn't the first time that the reconstruction of the temple had begun, right? If you were here the first week of the series, we looked back. And we saw that some about 18 years earlier, approximately, uh, when, the, when the Jewish people had returned from Babylon, uh, they began the work on rebuilding the city and they began the work on rebuilding the temple. But there was opposition and so they stopped and that work stopped for uh, 16 years. And so now we're, he- we're here about 18 years later. And so the reason I wanted us to have the passage in Ezra is because, uh, again, even though they're not parallel passages, um, there's, there's something very significant in the Ezra story when they first began rebuilding the temple 18 years earlier that has great bearing on what we're going to read about in Haggai chapter 2 and particularly in relation to a negative spirit. So I want to read to you um, from Ezra chapter 3. I'm going to begin in verse 7. I'm going to read a little bit and then I'll talk a little bit and I'll read a little bit and talk a little bit and then we'll get to Haggai chapter 2. Beginning in verse 7 it says, Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters and gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. So this is that month period of time that I talked about where they're gathering their plans and they're gathering their resources. They're getting everything together. This is a time of in-gathering. And so then we look in verse 8. It says, In the second month, of the second year after their arrival 
at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, Joshua, son of Jezadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all of uh, who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Hinnadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. So let's think a bit about what's happening here. They've returned. They've gathered the resources. They've gathered their plans. And now uh, here they are. Just imagine this massive construction site. The rubble has been pulled away from the ruins of the original temple and, and there are crews of, of men all throughout and they're working to begin the laying of the foundation and it tells us that there are, um, uh, there are Levites who, who, are, who are supervising each of these work crews, these work groups uh, and, 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 and think about this, as they're coming together they're rebuilding the temple the place where God, his, his spirit would dwell. They're rebuilding this temple. And so there had to be this sense of excitement. There had to be this sense of camaraderie that they were coming together and they were doing this together. This great sense of community. And so they're working and now they've laid the foundation. Listen as I continue on. In verse 10, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestments... And with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures forever. Then it says, and all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because of the foundation of the house was laid. I want to stop here again. So what's happened is the foundation of the temple has been laid. And so there's the calling so, think of a solemn assembly. That they're going to stop and they're going to thank God for what's been done so far. So all the people come together and there's this, this solemn assembly. There's this, there's this worshiping of the people. And I love what it says. It says, all the people raised up praise to the Lord. But now listen as I read in verse 12, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. So again, what's happening here is they've come together and they're worshiping, they're, they're thanking God, but there was a group of people in the crowd. There was a group of people there who had been doing the work and this was a group of people, the old timers. They had been there and they had seen Solomon's temple in all of its glory. They had seen the magnificence, the grandeur. Uh, oh, it was just something incredible. And now this group of people, they're looking on the foundation of the temple that is being rebuilt. And they're comparing. 
They're looking in the rear view mirror. They're looking in their own rear view mirror. They're looking back to the good old days, to the glory days when the temple was so magnificent and beautiful as a building. And it says, as they're looking on the foundation of the temple that is being rebuilt, they wept aloud. And they began to raise that up to the heavens. And it was very loud. But there was another group of people there who had not seen Solomon's temple. They had not seen the glory days, so to speak, the grandeur, the magnificence of the building that Solomon had built and the place where God said he would dwell. And for this group of people, they were lifting up praise and adoration to the heavens for what was going on. And it says that these two uh, emotions were being lifted up to the heaven and they were, they, they, it was hard to distinguish. What you could hear is this loud noise and it could be heard from far away. But in the midst of it, there was the emotion of weeping and mourning out of comparison. And there was the, the, the emotion of great praise because the temple was being rebuilt. And so now that helps us, that gets us to to Haggai chapter 2. So I want to read to you from Haggai chapter 2. Again, that has great bearing on this story. Uh, Again, I'm going to read a few verses and then talk about it. It says, uh, in the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shethiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jezedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it look to you like nothing? It's interesting. There's questions that are being asked. Um, Again, remember the passage that I read in Ezra And the passage that I just read in Haggai, those aren't simultaneous passages. That's not something that's happening at the same time. But what we find in Haggai 2 is once again, God speaks to the Jewish people through Haggai. This time, it's not a word of rebuke like we saw in in chapter 1. He's not making an accusation, but he does bring a corrective word. But along with that corrective word, there's a word of encouragement. But he brings this correction by asking some questions. Uh, I think we've established this. But once again, if we look back in Ezra 3.12, we know that there were those there who had seen Solomon's temple in its glory. And we know as we read in Haggai chapter 2 that there were still some there. Some of the same ones. And they were there and they had seen Solomon's temple. They had seen it. In its former glory. It's 18 years later. And so God through Haggai confronts something that's going on. And he does it by asking three questions. Here are the questions. Imagine there's this group of people. Once again, as the work of the rebuilding of the temple is going on. And he's like, time out, time out. Let's stop. Let's, let's come together. Let, let's huddle. Something's going on here. And he asked the first question. How many of you saw Solomon's temple built 
and experienced its magnificent glory. If that's you here in the crowd today, raise your hand. Just raise your hand if you saw the glory of the previous temple. And there would be those in the crowd. And they would, they would raise their hand. And they would say, yeah, we did. It was, it was, it was incredible. It was spectacular. Gold and all. Oh, it was just so big and so incredible. And there's a pause. And then he says, how do you see this temple? This temple that's being rebuilt right before your eyes. How do you see this temple? And there's another pause because he wants him to think about the question he's asking. And then he asks the third question. By comparison, do you see it as nothing? When you, when you look at the foundation of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple here, do you see what's coming up? And you compare it, when you look in your rearview mirror and you compare it to what you saw before the temple was destroyed, the temple that Solomon built, do you, does that cause you to look at this temple that's being built and see it as nothing? What, what is it that Haggai is correcting through these questions? Um, I think it would be easy to conclude that he's correcting a negative response. In other words, he's picked up on something going on in the crowd. They're, they're responding negatively to, to uh, what's happening there in Haggai chapter 2. Uh, a, a negative response. And I think we could conclude that, but I think there's something much larger. A, as I was studying this week, and I've alluded to this twice, it, it's real easy when you're comparing Ezra 3 and Haggai chapter 2 to think that they're parallel passages, that they're, they're two parts of one story, that they're actually happening simultaneously. And what I realized as I was trying to work out the timeline is no, Ezra chapter 3 happened 18 years before Haggai chapter 2. So Back in Ezra chapter 3, there was this negative response that was lifted up in weeping and mourning to the heavens. On that day, the Jewish people responded negatively. And now, 18 years later, why did God confront something that had been lingering for 18 years? And I think that question kind of answers itself, doesn't it? Because it was lingering. There was a negative response 18 years earlier. And now 18 years later, there's still evidence of that negative spirit. And could it be that what uh, 18 years earlier was truly a negative response as they looked at the foundation of the temple that was being laid... That over the years, even as that temple was being built and they continued to see that it was not going to match Solomon's temple, that they were nurturing and they were feeding that negative response and that negative response developed into a negative spirit. And now 18 years later, they're living out that negative spirit as the people, particularly those who were looking in the rearview mirror. Had this negative spirit permeated uh, how they viewed life, their perspective on life. And without a doubt, God knew that a negative spirit would hinder the work that he had called them to do. And that was to build the temple, rebuild the temple. And, and, and could it be that by asking these questions, he's calling on them to stop feeding a negative spirit. Is he saying now, 
Now is the time for you to confront this negative spirit that you've been feeding and nurturing. And it's, it's been building and, and it's 18 years old now. Now is the time. Stop feeding that negative spirit. Um, I, I think that this is very significant for us today. We, we said that uh, all scripture is God-breathed. And useful for teaching and correcting, rebuking, and instruction in righteousness. So we have to always know that we can pull application, even though it might seem long time ago and abstract, that there's application for us. Now, I believe it's very significant for us today because I believe that it's very easy for any one of us to fall victim to a negative spirit. I think it's really easy to fall victim to a negative spirit. I don't think it's very difficult at all to feed a negative spirit. And I think a negative spirit comes through a series of broken promises, uh, chronic disappointments, bad, hurtful experiences. And what happens is we become cynical and we find ourselves so cynical that we continue to not only live with, but we feed and we nurture this negative spirit. And over time, as things build up, we develop this attitude, which is a general emotion of distrust and we lose hope that the future could in any way be better than the past. And although it's not what we want to do, nor should we do it, again, it's very easy to nurture and to feed a negative spirit. Um, how do we do it? We don't want to do it, but how, how does it happen? Well, we feed a negative spirit when we choose to live in the past. I think it's been very obvious. That's exactly what we see in Ezra 3 and Haggai 2. They were looking in the rearview mirror. They were looking at the glory days. They were looking at the past. And they, were, they, were, they, they had just determined that the future of this temple will never, it will never match the glory days of Solomon's temple. Let me ask you this morning, how big is your rearview mirror? How big? How big is your rearview mirror? How much time do you spend uh, looking in that rearview mirror at what you would consider to be the glory days of some portion of your life? A time when things were better. Maybe it has to do with church. Maybe uh, your rearview mirror is you're always, you're, you're kind of frustrated with how, how church happens uh, how we gather and, and how, how the church worships. And, and you say, back in the good old days, the good old days is when we only sang hymns. And we didn't sing choruses. We didn't sing worship songs that have a lot of verses and last a long time and they repeat a lot. And I know some of you have thought that. I just, I just know that. And so you get stuck so busy looking in the rearview mirror that you're missing what God is doing in his church through his people right now. The miracles that are happening because you won't release the past. And that can happen in any area of your life. It can happen in relationships. It can happen in a work situation. Uh, it, it can happen. And so, but we, 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 we look we look in the rearview mirror, and, and I wonder, is it possible that when we're looking in our rearview mirror, are we looking through rose-colored glasses? When we're looking in the rearview mirror, do we have a way of somehow reframing the past 
in such a way that we're able to whitewash out all of the problems that really actually did exist. We somehow, we forget them. Oh, in the good old days, everybody got along and da-da-da-da-da. I think we have the ability to reframe the past. And, and we see it differently than it really happened. And while we're reframing the past, at the same time, we have this ability to look right now in the present and find every single problem that we can identify, every single negative, and we can focus on them in such a way that we can't even live in contentment and happiness because we just want to be back like it used to be. And I'm not just talking about church. I'm talking about in any area of life. You have to be careful. Because we'll miss out on the good things, the God things that are happening in and around us. Uh, We can feed a negative spirit when we're constantly focused on and we're frustrated with a lack of progress. And honestly, I don't necessarily see that happening um, in this passage in Haggai. It could have been there, but there's not enough in the passage to cause me to pull that out and say that's what was happening. But I believe that this can happen for us, I think that we can get so frustrated because things aren't happening as quickly as we think they should that we just, we're feeding this negative spirit. All we do is complain that it's not happening right now. And listen to this. Here's the greater danger. We can become frustrated with God because we don't think, we don't believe He's working as quickly as we think he should in any particular situation where there's a challenge. Listen, God's always working. He's always working. And the work he's doing is always positive. It may not always feel positive, but that's because he's changing us. He's transforming us. He's building us up. He's, he's, uh, we are a new creation and we're becoming that new creation. He's changing us. So the work of God is always positive. And we have to be careful that we don't become so frustrated with God because he's not working fast enough that we miss the positive. We become negative about God and we we fail to see all the good that he's doing. Um, If we choose to dwell on the negative, we're certainly going to find it. Uh, We can feed a negative spirit when we make comparisons. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about comparisons. I think that's been obvious all throughout when you look at what's happening uh, with those who have returned. Um, And and we've spent some time in past months talking about the danger of comparisons. Uh, But let me just say this. It's obvious that that's what was going on in both Ezra and, and Haggai. They were comparing Solomon's temple with the temple that was being reconstructed, and they had decided this will never match what had happened. And again, they were feeding. They were feeding. You have to be, we have to be aware of, uh, of comparison because it's a very negative, slippery slope. So that's enough about feeding. We don't want to feed the negative spirit, but it's important that we understand how we do that. But I haven't actually finished the rest of the story. Because I said there was a two-part word. There was a corrective word, but there was a word of encouragement. So I want to read verses 4 through 9. And we're going to begin to wrap this up. Um, Beginning at verse 4. So the last question that he asks is, Does it not seem to you like nothing 
And then in verse 4, But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Here's the bottom line of what he's saying. Don't draw conclusions simply on what you see. This temple that is being rebuilt, that may look smaller or nothing in comparison to you as compared to Solomon's temple, let me tell you, you cannot even begin to imagine what I'm going to do through this place. What's happening here, what's going to happen here will be greater than anything that ever happened in Solomon's temple. So the word, the instruction didn't change. It was still rebuild God's house. And the encouragement was this, don't give up. Continue on. Be strong. I am with you. My spirit is with you. Don't be distracted by what you see. The temple, this temple will be greater than Solomon's temple. I've declared it. It will happen. Now, here's what's interesting. They were building a house where God would dwell. But that's not the case anymore, is it? Where's the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where where does God dwell? Within Within us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And God is building us up as his temple. Because that's true, the words that were spoken to the Jewish people by Haggai, the encouragement, it's for us today. Because we are being built up as God's temple. So listen, if you If you're suffering from a negative spirit and that negative spirit has caused you to want to give up, to throw in the towel, you're just sick and tired of it. You've lost hope. You don't trust that the future will be uh, greater than the past. Then listen, this is the word for you. Don't give up. Continue on. Be strong. I am with you. My spirit remains with you. Don't be distracted by what you see. Your future will be greater than your past. I have declared it and it will happen. That's the word. The word of the Lord is now is the time to confront any negative spirit that we've allowed to permeate and and, and influence our perspective on life. We have to confront and, and believe that he's, he's on our side. He's building us up. And he's got great things in store for us. Let me close with this. If you're dealing with a negative spirit, then it's important to understand a negative spirit is an internal problem. It's not a somebody else problem. If you're dealing with a negative spirit, you're responsible. It's choice that you make. Um, 
if you deal with a negative spirit, you can change, but you can only change through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. But you can change. The Holy Spirit can help you become intentional. The Holy Spirit can help you train yourself to see, to look for the positive. Because if you really want to find the positive, you can find it. The Holy Spirit will help you open up your eyes. Um, And finally, know and believe that God has a greater plan for your future than you can even begin to imagine. He hasn't left you out. So let me ask you, is there a negative spirit that you need to confront? Have Have you been nurturing? Have you been feeding something that would be negative? Is your view of life through a negative lens? Now is the time to confront that, that spirit in you. And are you willing to? What are you going to do about it? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? Are you willing today to uh, not only acknowledge that you're dealing with a negative spirit, but are you willing to surrender it to God? Are you willing to surrender that negative spirit and, uh, and, and be filled and refilled with his Holy Spirit and experience the life that God has for you and see that he's working in your behalf and he's doing really good and positive things? Father God, I pray for every person in this room, including myself, because it is very easy to veer off into being negative and nurturing and feeding a negative spirit and not being able to see all that you're doing in and through us and around us. And so today we offer that to you. We surrender it to you. We offer that spirit to you and we ask that you fill us with your spirit. Overflow us with your spirit. Change our perspective that we see things all good and you recognizing you're at work. I pray, I pray that you work that in us today, Father. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I ask this every week and I'm going to ask it again. Is there anybody here today and you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ and there's something stirring in you and you say, today's my day. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want him to be my savior. I want to live out a life that's committed to him. You never have made that commitment before. Is there anybody here? If so, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, would you just simply lift up your hand? Let your eye catch my eye. Anybody at all. Father, thank you. Thank you once again that you brought together a group of people who know you and love you and serve you. And I pray that as we go out today and we know we're serving you as we go out, that we would be filled with your light and people would be drawn to us, that we would be the gospel through our actions and people would be drawn to us and we would have the opportunity to tell them your story and help bring them into your kingdom, into your family. And I ask that you continue to send people. Thank you for the salvations that we've seen over the past uh, months. And I ask that you continue to send people to us, Father God, so that we can tell them the story of your story, the story of Jesus. See them come into the kingdom and help them grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.